The best chats are always the unscripted ones. There are interesting stories all around us, and here's one of them. Open your eyes, spectacular's right in front of you. <laughs> oh yeah, this is totally unscripted, so we never know where this is going to go. Dangerous. This is the unscripted perspective, Turn the volume and off. here's your host, Phil Parker. Phil Parker. Phil Parker. Phil Parker. Well, hello, everybody. This is Phil Parker once more on another Unscripted Perspective. And this evening, the wonderfully talented and amazing human being that I I've, I, I love speaking with, Wendy Stewart-Kaplan, how are you this fine evening? Well, I am fantastic this fine evening because I am a summer person and it's summer. <laughs> well, you know what? You win because... Um, I think it's hot everywhere at this present moment. I was looking at the weather. I don't think there's a spot in America right now that isn't getting a heat wave. So it's definitely your season. It is. I am thriving. How are you tonight? I am fantastic. The kids are in bed and we're going to have a fantastic chat. So um, let's kick it off. For my listeners who don't know who you are, um, just a brief synopsis. You are an actress, comedian, camera host, uh, model, and now you're a podcaster. Yeah, major. It's like podcast. we're sharing professions all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> my, so tell- uh, my podcast show is called If These Walls Could Talk. That's my main one. And it's a celebrity interview show that includes writers, artists, people in the world of cabaret, people in the world of exploration. In general, people that have quirky personalities because those are the kinds of people I like to interview. Well, um, why haven't you called me already? This is, I know, I don't know <laughs> tonight. So there you go. So, so Wendy, tell me what you've been doing. Cause, uh, honestly the last two years of COVID have been immensely crazy for everybody, but I know because you haven't been, um, you're not, this is your full-time gig. This is you being on, on TV, on um, on podcasting, this is your full time gig. So you've been extremely busy, uh, from from what I hear. From I, actually, they shut New York down on March twelfth, which I was completely rejecting that concept. See, two weeks before, they could have like kind of told us what was coming for real, but they didn't do that. Okay, and when they shut the subways down and the clubs, I was in a club the night they shut New York down. It was the weirdest thing. It was, um, if you know that show, Dexter, Michael C. Hall, he has a band and he was performing. Big celebrity, but very small crowd, right? And that's when it dawned on me, Philip, that things weren't business as usual. And um, the next day, March 13th, I woke up, had lost every account that I had, every modeling account, any jobs I was on hold for, I was no longer on hold for, okay. They released everybody. They weren't making films. They weren't doing TV. The clubs had closed and there was no theater. So I stood in my kitchen and I said, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And I said to my husband, we have to come up with something because he's a videographer as well as a photographer. And I invented a show called Pandemic Cooking with Wendy. So I took all of my talents and I brought them into my kitchen. Now, Philip, you don't know me, but the, the the fun behind pandemic cooking with Wendy is Wendy doesn't cook. Not really. <laughs> I, like, I live in New York where I can dial out for food 
any time of night. And the truth is I hate cooking. I have better things I can do. But with everybody being home, I thought, what can I do that would use my comedy, use my costumes, my makeup, my wigs, and my writing ability, and make people feel better, right? Because that's what comedians do. We make people feel better. And right. the coolest thing about the show, Pandemic Cooking with Wendy, we we did actually over 100 episodes of it. I would create these meals. Thank God most people, I don't think a lot of people cooked them because I don't think they were very good. And I need to add into this, three days after I created this cooking show, I got COVID and lost my smell and taste for eight months. But my audience, I know it's great, right? My audience never knew that. And I would take them on trips. I dressed up one night as a flight attendant in my kitchen and I had a traveler magazine and I said, we're going to India and I'm your flight attendant. So I would create these entire fantasies to try and make people happy. And of course, people started subscribing to uh, my YouTube channel and they would tune in on Facebook to watch the show. So for me, I it was a great creative outlet. And there were it, a lot of- It allowed you to be creative during a time when you weren't able to really do anything, which, um, right. I, I mean, to- the cooking frenzy that seems to be happening, um, you know, uh, the, T- the former T-Mobile CEO did the same thing as you. He- he did cooking on a, I think it was a Tuesday, and he 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 was cooking. His, he's not a cook. He's a CEO of a of a of a multinational, um, uh, you know, tele, uh, telephone company. So he he was just trying to connect with his customers, and it was funny. It was it was exactly what you're saying. It's it's not necessarily for the cooking aspect because if you're going to do that, you might as well watch Gordon Ramsay. But right. it's for the entertainment value. And the connection. You just said it. It's connecting. Because what happened to us during the pandemic, we were being isolated. So the thing that became key was how could we connect? And I started out doing the cooking show and then winter came to New York and they started building these outdoor dining sheds and they would have these heat lamps and it was really uncomfortable. It would still be cold, but you'd be sitting outside and they'd be trying to serve you dinner. And I was with a friend of mine outside one of the shuttered restaurants. And I said, that restaurant is shut, but they're serving food out here. I I have a great idea. Let's start a celebrity show. And my co-host, Tim Moss, said to me, well, how are we going to do that? I said, everybody is home. (laughs) They're like sitting ducks. Every famous person you can think of has got to want to be interviewed. They've got to want to come on a show. And Mm -hmm. the rest is history. I started If These Walls Could Talk. And we started broadcasting from Pangea Restaurant on the Lower East Side. We had a beautiful location in a very cool neighborhood. And we started streaming. And I, my God, I had Scott Page from Pink Floyd, um, Kenny Loggins, um, so many people that you've heard of. They were, they were home. I mean, yeah. I had Scott cool. Page myself. He's a- incredible. Right. He's incredible. Phenomenal. Think of everybody that you were able to interview. You know, you would have never gotten those people normally, no, but they no, were home. 100%. And to be honest, I probably wouldn't have started a podcast because I think, um, so I always wanted to entertain. I've always, I've always been an entertainer of some sorts. Uh, I started in stand-up comedy and, wow. and then just kind of built from that. Um, and then obviously, um, you know, I was DJing and, 
um, hosting events and things like that. And then I had my children and that kind of forced me to be more of a recluse. <laughs> so um, trying to find creative outlets and everyone said, oh, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. Um, uh, one of my guests and friends, um, actually the guy that has done the intro for the show, um, came on and, um, you know, he was texting me saying, you need to do your podcast. And, you and eventually I just said, you know what, let's do it. And it started by meeting Eileen Shapiro. And she, I said, Hey, I want to, I want to do a podcast. And she goes, great. I have guests. I was like, cool. And she goes, when can you do it? I was like, I really don't have a, a timetable. And literally within hours, my next four weeks, Oh, was completely blocked out. Like there was not a day I wasn't doing a podcast. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was on the podcast every night um, to the point where I was like, geez, I think I might have to redo how I'm doing, which is exactly what I've done this year. I've I've got a schedule where I actually have a life and I get to produce and I get to oh, promote you know, and I do all that kind of stuff. Podcasts every day, you know, even Jimmy Starr, who's, uh, you know, his podcast is so famous. He, he's once a week. I have, I do this podcast that I have. And then I have another one called Triversity Talk. Both of my podcasts are on Wednesday. And I got to tell you, Wednesdays are killer for me because some of my guests are so different from other guests. And as you know, you know, you do the read up, you do the homework and all you put time into it. And right. then and then you want to have a really great interview. I'm laughing, though, because um, I didn't have a podcast when I met Eileen. I met Eileen like a month before the pandemic. And I have a book called She's the last model standing. And somebody introduced me to Eileen at an event we were at. And she said, well, what do you do? I said, oh, you know, I model, I act, I have a book. She's like, oh, great. You know, we'll, we'll promote that. And then this pandemic happens only a few weeks later. And I remember calling her up and I had just gotten with her, Eileen and Jimmy Starr. And I said to her, you know, honestly, what can you do for me now? And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, everything shut down. And she said, don't worry about it. And she started getting me on everyone else's podcast. And that's when right. Philip, I realized I'm like, I can do this. Right. hundred percent. Right. So can you, you have a stand up background, you've DJed, you've done all of it. It's just another medium. Right. And I think, um, as we, as we mentioned before, you know, um, it's people craving connection. It's, uh, right. It's it's relatability. It's connecting with your audience because you're speaking their language. It's not just um, no disrespect to the amazing podcasts that are out there right now, but um, you know there are superstars that are are doing podcasts, um, Mark Wahlberg and people like that. Yeah, now, celebrities are right. Yeah, huge celebrities um, during COVID. It was the no-namers that were getting all the attention because they were relatable. Now people are going, hey, I actually really like podcasts. So I might listen to people who who, who are more famous in the industry. So it's, it's kind of taking a different kind of trajectory now, um, yes. which is good because, um, I, like you said, you know, I would, I would, I've interviewed people during COVID that I've never dreamed of meeting. Um, and now... These people are connected to me, um, constantly communicating with me. I've, I've become friends with a lot of the people that I've met through these podcasts. And we just, we're building on that relationship and having a creative 
kind of a collaboratory um, relationship where I bring people back and we have chats and we see how we're doing much like yourself and we go and and we we, we build upon that and it's just a it's a great relationship and it's good for the listener because they end up having that relationship with you so it's a it's it's it goes it's a free-flowing it's like an ebb and flow of 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 you building your relationship with all these people that you've met and then revisiting them um years later and you know i like like rachel kane um who's the uh, owner of tracks records i would never have met her in a million years but she's texting me we're 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 wishing each other happy birthday and you've just it's a it's a completely different kind of dynamic right but you build relationships with people which is what it's about and one one of the cool things so both my podcasts i stream but my one of my podcasts a lot of my performers are in new york so now we have them come in live and i, ha- I have to tell you it's just like having for me a tv show they come in live right. it's still the same thing with the computer but those are the people I met them streaming and then now they're coming in live and now, you know, we meet for drinks, we go to people's shows that no one has talked about, right? First of all, you know how psychologically damaging the pandemic was, is it's for everybody. just come out now and people were left damaged from it. For me, I was able to build huge community. When I tell people that, because of the pandemic, I had a huge circle, so social circle before I I have between social media and what happened during the pandemic and having these shows. I have so many people. It's great. At any given night, I can be going to four things that would have never happened before. So, you know, there's an upside to everything. Right. A hundred percent. And um, I think what we've learned through this pandemic and everything that's happened since is that we we have to find the positive in in every situation. Otherwise, we're just kind of wallowing in our own self pity, watching uh, Netflix shows that probably we've rerun a mil- million times. I think, I think I finished Netflix at one point. That's how bad it got. <laughs> you went, wait a minute. I'm, okay, hold on. You went through all the Netflix shows. That's amazing. Well, I feel like I did because, it, you know, there comes a point where you're you're looking at Netflix and you're going, um, okay, I've seen this, I've seen this, and this, this, and this, this, and what, what are we doing now, you know what I mean? So it's, exactly. uh, it's, a, it's, a fun, it's a fun realization that maybe you need to get off the couch and do something, you know? <laughs> so. I have to tell you, because you're a DJ, one of the things that I thought was the coolest during uh, the pandemic, I listened to electronic dance music, EDM, and some of the big DJs like Armin Van Buren and Paul Van Dyke, they actually ran shows and, you know, you could be part of it, right, by being in the chat. And people from all over the world would be in their homes, just like I was, making comments on the music. Some of us would pick up on each other. Oh, where are you from? It, it was all of a sudden, the world, which was such a big place and unattainable, it became a much smaller place. And you could reach right. out. And, and right. I, 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 interviewed a, um, I interviewed an entrepreneur um, who was in India. Wow. And um, I'm, I'm not lying to you, the... the the conversation was completely out there. It was an amazing uh, podcast, but it, it made me realize the difference in society because um, while while we're having this podcast, like there's so much going on in the background. You know, we, I mean, I, I, I 
everyone is has a different house or whatever and has a different setup but um we have like there's an office there's there's a kitchen, there's bedrooms, there's all that kind of stuff. Yeah. In this particular setup, she it's all just one big room. And then they have a couple of bedrooms. And so people are walking by while we're doing this podcast. And I'm just like, you know what? It's, And that's why now every time I introduce the podcast, it's just two friends having a chat over your favorite beverage. And that's kind of how I play it. Because it the best chats, as I keep saying, are the unscripted ones because it comes from the soul. It's not just reading off a piece of paper saying, um, asking about someone's, um, new project or while, while that may come up in a conversation. Um, one thing that I love about unscripted conversations is you just don't know where it's going to go. And you could be ended up talking about politics, which I hate. And then you next thing you're talking about music, which is food for the soul. And then you're both laughing about things that, you know, that have happened in your life, which again is enriching for any listener because they, they're connecting, they're connecting to the moments and, and finding some relatability there. Absolutely. You know, Philip, this is how I think of it. My whole life, I used to go to cocktail parties and talk to people. About, that's what I do. I'm curious. Right, so I talk right. to people. And that's what I can bring to the people that I quote unquote interview. I feel just like you do. Like people will say, can you give me my questions ahead of time? And I say to them, I'm going to read tons of things about you, but I'm not going to have any questions prepared because I don't need to do that. I need right. to know what I need to know about you. But I've had people that I knew nothing about. And you know what? That's cool too, because right. through with them you find out all these really neat things about them it's like meeting someone in the bar it's like meeting someone in the bar and having a drink and just going hey who are you (laughs) you know what i mean great you know because that's the realist type of conversation 100 percent um so you've uh getting back to how amazing you are um you. (laughs) (laughs) you you created this um i guess this chef slash um, com- com- comedic uh, Comedy. food say, show. They said it's really a drag show. I'm like, why is this a drag show? They're like, you look like a drag queen in all your costumes. Your comedy is completely over the top. And I thought, so they called it a drag cooking show. But it was entertainment. And that's what right. I do. Right. Entertainment. So you know? we, we, we've... We've made a cooking show. Then you go and you um, find an amazing setting and you you create an interview podcast. Yes. But that you didn't stop there because you went on and you did. Um... Well, all this was going on. So um, anyone who knows me, I'm um, I'm all about serving. I serve. Uh, there are some people that are just meant to do that. In the '80s, I had uh, I did so much work with AIDS organizations. And I'm just that kind of person. And I helped start an LGBTQ in the tri-state area. Um, we're based in Milford, Pennsylvania, and it was called Triversity. And this, you know, this pandemic is happening and people were really feeling isolated. They're in rural areas, uh, people that might be coming out in a late age that, you know, they're discovering their own truth. But however you looked at it, they couldn't go in anywhere and share it with someone. So um, our executive director, I said to him, let's do a podcast and we can address all the issues that anyone might be going through this LGBTQ. 
and that's so many people and that have all different careers. So we started that show. It's called Triversity Talk. Uh, Steven, of course, he was a lawyer and he's gone on to full-time law. I do. I host a show myself now. I have interviewed uh, writers, lawyers, filmmakers. Um, I had doctors on that do transgender surgery. I have parents on of kids that um, were born biologically one sex, but even at five years of age, completely identify with another. So a lot of the stuff that you read about in the paper, I'm interviewing people firsthand about. It is really wonderful. And I love getting, you know, again, I love getting the word out there. And that one, I people don't come in person to that. That's strictly streaming. And it's cool. But, you know, again, we're talking, Philip, what we can do with podcasting. I have people come on from all over the country. All yeah, over it's the amazing. Country. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, it's and, 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 and it's it's giving, um, not to steal from the title that I gave my podcast, but it's giving different perspectives to people. Because at the end of the day, um, like I say to everyone, you know, this this whole podcast thing for me was created to kind of, give me different perspectives on different people's lives and careers and everything. And, um, and hopefully, um, give that same, um, get that same experience to the listener. And so while you're gifting these people with an interview, you're also gifting your listeners with a completely different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And share, I'm really big about sharing information. You know, right. you listen to these things, you have really great guests on that have information that maybe people don't know. They listen to the podcast and they pick it up. What, you know, what could be better? It's, it's like, it's the perfect gift. That's what I say. Right. Um, I had a guest that was um, an animal Reiki expert. Oh, I love and, it. Oh, you're and kidding. honestly, I, I, when I got the request to come on the show, I, I toyed with the idea of not doing it. And I said, you know what? I'm actually intrigued. And if I'm intrigued, I know others will be. And it was such a great experience because we talked about our pets and, and it was just, it was a phenomenal experience. I would but totally it, love someone. I would totally love a guest like that. That's, that is so up my alley and because you know what? That's like the rare bird that you find. Someone right. that's Reiki, you know, Reiki is, um, a lot of people know about it, but there's a lot of people that don't, but we hear about it with human beings. But my God, somebody that does Reiki on dogs, how cool oh is Oh my that? God, dogs, horses, cats. Yeah, yeah. Right. no, If um, I'll send you the link to the episode because it was such a good one. And I'm still in contact with her. So if you want to have her on your podcast, I'll definitely get you in touch because um, yes, she's, she's amazing. She's an incredible. She's absolutely incredible. Now, you have animals. Did you try and do the Reiki on your, your animals? No, because um, I just like I don't try brain surgery because I'm not a brain surgeon. I don't do Reiki because I'm not a Reiki expert. It's that kind of way. It's that kind of way. Um, and my wife would argue I don't do um, – cooking very well either so there you know i'll send you a few links to pandemic cooking <laughs> <laughs> right right exactly um so um the next thing you moved on to was um documentaries because um i remember our last conversation you were you were you were going to africa and things like that but that was was that mid pandemic or before pandemic when was that recorded so i had done that i can't remember when you and i last touched base but 
Um, I went to Africa before the pandemic to do a film called Whispers and Witnesses, Primate Rescue in Cameroon. I had met these um, two women from the Explorers Club in New York that lived in Cameroon about 12 hours apart that were fighting poachers and rescuing gorillas and chimpanzees. The way that happens is the poachers kill the parent because um, there are certain cultures that believe that they can use things from the primate for medicinal purposes. So um, in China and in the Middle East, it's very prevalent. So they pay top dollar to get you know a full-grown gorilla or a chimpanzee, but the baby is left. And what these women were doing, they would get the babies. And one of the chimpanzee rescue places by Dr. Sherry Speed, who's from Oregon originally, she's from the Pacific Northwest, and her place is called Sanaga Young Chimpanzee Rescue. She had 64 chimpanzees. She made them into families. Philip, this is like the most incredible thing. Like you would just think, all right, they're finding all these baby chimps, they're raising them then what happens? Well, they grow into adult chimps and like people that you can't like just put certain chimps with other chimps. So she created, you know, she would give the chimp uh, a bit of time, like a week to get to know the other five chimps in that family group. If the chimp was accepted, then that chimp got to stay. If it didn't work out, she would try another group. And the way they did this was the chimps were in four acre enclosures. So people, First of all, those are huge. And it's got, um, it was electric fence, not to shock them, but to keep them in the four acre enclosures. Now, if you think about four acres, it's a lot of room. And the they live their social life the same way they would in the wild. The reason, and a lot of people, when I talk about this said, well, that's cruel. You know, they, they were in these enclosures. They were safe in these enclosures. There was no place to release them because if they were released into the forest again, especially as adult chimps, they would be killed. And the same thing for the lowland gorillas, which were at Ape Action Africa. So they make these families. And it's the most incredible thing, you know, like you getting together with your family over Thanksgiving or or my family. When you watch the dynamic, you know, the guy who's in charge, right? He's running the show. And then, of course, there's a couple of wives who all have different relationships. And then the teenagers who are coming up and showing their bravado. It's really absolutely fascinating to watch. So we made a film about it, Whispers and Witnesses, Primate Rescue in Cameroon. Exactly. Um, So if you don't mind, I'm actually going to play a short... 18 second uh, snippet from that because um, it is incredible. So one second while I pull that up. Yeah, like my brother now. These animals could be extinct in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. These baby chimps were brought here as orphans. Their mothers were killed. So, you know, um, just the... The trailer alone is like there's there's pictures and there's um, one of the things is, um, you know, you're talking about chimps that were killed and babies that were killed and everything. Um, it, it grabs your attention straight out of the gate. Um, I think not everyone has the opportunity to get themselves involved in something because, you know, you hear 
all these um, stories and you see the the snippets on on BBC or um, David Attenborough documentaries and you're so detached. You, you know, you're so detached because the reality of it is, is that it's always far away. It's something that you can't get to and you feel like you've no control over. And then you have um, the next thing you see is a charitable organization called 1-800-I-CARE or something right. like that. And then you're, you're sending money. But what you ended up doing was, I don't want to just be detached. I want to be part of this, this fixing um, of the situation. And you went out there and you made it happen. You, you filmed it. You, you created um, a documentary that basically a, a normal, down-to-earth human being like yourself went out there. And just because you care, you documented it and showed the world exactly what it is unedited just you the people and the situation right and what i tried to show was the truth not my point of view not my perspective i what we tried to shoot and my husband is very great as a videographer shooting from the inside it's from the perspective of the people it's what is really happening in front of you and it's my um authenticity as a person to narrate i'm not david attenborough i'm not slick i don't produce the kinds of things they show on nat geo i produce things that are real that will try and tug at your heart and make you care about the organizations that i'm making these films for because i'm just a normal person and I do these things. I do my homework, but I do these things. And it's funny that your show is called Unscripted because when I've spoken to people and they ask me my process for going to Africa and making these kinds of films, I have a concept. Guess what? That usually gets blown up. I right. went to Ethiopia <laughs> to do a film about fashion in with tribal people that are dressing the same way they have for decades. Their rituals are hundreds of years old. They're painted all the time. It was so out there that, you know, people like from New York said to me, oh, how did you get them to put on their costumes for you? They weren't putting on costumes for me. This is how they look all the time. It was hard getting in there to get the trust for them to allow us to shoot, but we made that happen. And I was going to do this film about fashion in tribal groups. And it's, it's called, um, oh my God, I just, thank you, Fragile Beauty. But it really was about the fragile beauty because the film ended up being about saving a little girl from malaria that the kids in the village I was in die from malaria. I'm there shooting a film about, you know, their gorgeous adornments and their body painting and all of that. And my guide comes over to me and he says, do you have any malaria medicine? He says, there's a little girl who's very sick. And um, I said, I have malaria medicine. I guess I can spare a few pills because, you know, you have to take it for yourself. Right, right. And he said, well, he said, um, maybe we can convince her and her father to go come to the clinic. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. There's a clinic? He says, yeah, it's a mile from here. I, I said, what will happen if we don't go to the clinic? He said, well, she'll die. I said, she'll die? He said, well, yeah, it's It's common. It's common that the children die, that it's just like that. They die from malaria. That was unacceptable to me. So we had to convince the father and the little girl to get in our Jeep. The father, you know, he, he didn't trust us. 
We weren't part of his tribe. We convinced them. We get the little girl and her father and we get to the clinic. And I'm thinking, you know, the reason the father didn't bring the daughter to the clinic was the malaria medicine was too expensive. Well, there were two things. The father only paid for things with cows. That's their culture. They pay for things with livestock and the malaria clinic doesn't take livestock. They take money. So I'm there and I say, how much, how much is it going to be? And there's a lot of buzzing back and forth. And they turn to me and they say, it's $10. Now, Philip, it cost me $10 to get this kid malaria medicine. Meanwhile, kids are dying from malaria in Africa for $10. And I said, I, I remember I doing fundraisers here in New York for those mosquito nets that were sent over there. So my question was, you know, where, where are the mosquito nets? And I was told, oh, the government drops them off in the villages and people use them to fish with, do hair wraps with, or turn them into clothing. And because nobody, there's no, that, that step, you know, of saying, hey, this is what you do. This is what these are for. You know, it's the same way you have to treat HIV or anything else. You have to let people know what this stuff is for. The government would just toss the nets out and that would be it. So the people would use them to fish with. I mean, what can I, what can I say? You see stuff like that and it's like, wow. It's, um, it's a bit sickening in, in a lot of ways. Because when you think about how complacent we are as a society right now, um, it is, it's depressing in a way that, you know, we are so, so complacent. I mean, not being, not being funny, but like I complain, I complain when the internet is slow, you know what I mean? Right. Like, oh my gosh, the internet's slow and I can't watch it. Netflix is buffering. Oh my gosh. Right. You know what I mean? And then you have these poor people, these people who, who literally are just looking for modern medicine to catch up to their, their space of the world where we're like, we can pick up, um, um, Norofen or, or ibuprofen or whatever brand you want to pick up. And in, in some cases, Dollar Tree sell them for a buck 25 and you have a whole bottle of them. Right. And, you know, um, they would kill for that kind of privilege. And we're, we're complacent. We're, 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 we're kind of snobbish in a way, you know? Absolutely. But what I hoped would come from the pandemic was the realization, talking about what you're saying, the realization that, you know, there's real things going on in the world and certainly COVID underlined that for all of us. It was a great equalizer because here, like I lived in New York, I live in New York and, um, those refrigerator trucks that people were talking about were lined up in my neighborhood. I live near five hospitals. That's reality. So when you hear, when you heard people saying, Oh, COVID was a hoax or COVID wasn't happening. Was I hallucinating those refrigerator trucks Were those refrigerator trucks, a conspiracy. That was a great equalizer on many levels because you know what? It didn't matter how rich you were or how poor you were. Right. If you got sick with this you, and you ended up on a re- respirator, you were done. Right. What I feel has happened since COVID, we're now in this in-between world. Um, and I'm not going to talk about politics because you don't like to talk about politics. But <laughs> if, you look at, um, if you look at what's going on out, there's crazy stuff. 
we haven't gained our footing yet. And sometimes I feel we haven't even really learned from COVID. We're still not thinking what would be the best for society? What's going to be healthy for society? What can raise people up? Because nobody knows. And I think, um, I think honestly, 100% COVID sorted the men from the boys when it came to leaders in the world. You know, um, every country around the world um, really uh, had to lean on the leaders of, of, their, of their country. And they were either f- severely mistaken by how well they could do the job or they were surprised at how well they t- took care of it. Like right. in Ireland specifically, you were you were not allowed to leave your house and go further than five kilometers from your house. There was uh, police uh, checkpoints where they would literally see you in the car. And if there was too many people in the car for no reason, they would send you home and you would go out on your own or right. with the, the person that you were that could help you do your shopping or whatever. Right. And, you know, um, on top of that, then because we were put, put through the, the horrors as so to speak, like most countries were, um, our, our, the Irish just, we wanted to get back out in the world. We wanted to do the thing. So what, when they said, Hey, you need to take a, a an injection and this is going to be your vaccine. You couldn't stop us. We were beating down the doors and we were getting it done. And, within uh, the shortest amount of time i think we were the fastest in the world if not in europe to um get to 89 percent vaccinated to where they opened up the whole thing again right and i remember first of all i remember reading about all this stuff because i was so frustrated here in this country i'm in pennsylvania on the weekends i don't even want to tell you things that i heard like covid will be gone with the midterm elections and the people who wouldn't get vaccinated. I have friends that were nurses working in hospitals in Pennsylvania where someone would be dying and my and they'd say, there's a vaccine, can you give it to me? And my friend who was a nurse would say, well, it's a COVID vaccine. And the person would say, oh, I don't have COVID, forget it, it won't help. People watch people die in denial of COVID. And that's right. the thing. Kudos to Ireland, okay, for the, you're right. They were beating down the doors to get the vaccine. And here they were running in the opposite direction. And, and here's the other thing, though. I always say the proof is in the pudding. Some of those leaders that said that this was fake or whatever, they got sick. They got COVID and they died. You would think right. a light bulb would go off. In, this is what frustrates me. How could a light bulb not go off in somebody's head and say, hmm, this might be real? Well, so part of the problem was um, I was here for the beginning of COVID. Um, I was in America for the beginning of COVID. And, for, and then you got your mail to Ireland. You saw the yeah, hair right on the yeah. wall here. You got out while you could. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, so the, the, the alarming thing to me is that in the beginning, all the leaders here were just like, oh, it'll be gone. You know, it'll go away. It's, it's, you know, we'll just hide out for a couple of weeks in the house. This will blow over. You know, everything's going to be fine. Watered it down. You know, everyone's freaking out. I can't believe you're locking everyone up. And nobody right. had the facts because nobody knew. And the leadership we had in place were not decisive enough to make okay. the hard decisions, which right. led to 
where what happened later and why it took so long to be free to do whatever and um you know and let's not pretend you know covid is still around it's not like it's gone away you know it's it's just we've um we have herd immunity is the is the phrase that seems to be um ringing through everyone's ears around the world herd immunity is what saved us and kind of got us back out in the uh into the real world again Absolutely. but but you know there are still places in the world where covid is rampant is is still a thing um and you know we can't just forget about it you know if we don't go get another booster um it could all come back um like like you know a moth to a flame it'll just right but and- it mutates and my friends who just got back from asia came back deathly ill and they had five vaccines when they went there it seems there's a new strain there i think what frustrates me philip is you know we're having this conversation but i you know i i read 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 and i'm into everything I'm not hearing about COVID so much anymore. It's like, they kind of like, okay, we have these vaccines. It's okay. Where you're saying, Hey, it's out there. It's scary. This is like, why are we not hearing anything anymore? Because it's not, um, it doesn't pay the bills. Ah, that's crazy. Right. Think about it. You've, you've got these news media that have literally exhausted the topic for two whole years. It was the exhausted topic and you're going to go back to them after they finally have something else to talk about and say, Hey, by the way, um, let's go back to COVID. They're going to laugh at you, number one, and they're going to have no material because they haven't been looking at it ever. So you're asking somebody who's completely uneducated on the topic to now go and do a news uh, bulletin on something they have no idea about because they haven't been looking at it. When in reality, all the medical people in the world are saying, hey, let's not forget, this is not all gone. Now, the pandemic is over, but COVID is not gone. So we have to still be careful. I still see people walking down the street with masks on. Um, in New York, no, in New York, they totally are on the subway during rush hour, which it makes a lot of sense. People t- totally are. So I see, still see a lot of people wearing masks and some of them, more than a few young, they're young because they don't believe the stuff they're hearing out there. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to protect myself. Right. And you know what? Power to you. If you, yep, you've the strength of character to go out there when everyone is laughing at you or telling you that you don't need to wear a mask. Um, you know, uh, I hear, I hear people scoff all the time. Oh my God, I can't believe that guy's wearing a mask. What's he doing wearing a mask? I, I like, um, unfortunately for, for some people, just because COVID is gone doesn't mean that they are, um, not vulnerable anymore. Right. Um, and when I say gone, I mean, not, um, prevalent. Um, right. just like right. the flu, just like the flu or, or getting a cold or, or any kind of sickness that is, um, seasonal COVID is still around. So we still yeah. have to be on our toes and we still have to be alert to the fact that when we do get sick, Hey, it might actually be COVID. So we got to be careful. Um, now we have when to test I ourselves. I automatically assume that it's COVID. <laughs> I just sort of, I, when someone tells me they've got, they feel like they're getting a cold, I'm like, stay away from me because I, I, by day number four, that's when those symptoms come out, by the way. That well, test- for a while, for a while, everyone just, everyone was just, you know, 
everything was a symptom at some, at one point, you know, you could, oh my God, he has a cough. He's got COVID. He just sniffed. He's got COVID. His ears are ringing. He's got COVID. His tongue is swelling. He's got COVID. It's like, okay, guys, let's, let's, let's relax a second. Remember the flu? That's also still around. Let's, oh, yeah, let's it, relax. It's totally around, right? <laughs> you know, so um, there's two sides to the coin, but I, you know, I hope, I hope and pray that we don't ever get back into the situation where we're um, uh, ignorant to the the, the health um, scenarios that are, are around us, and that we we take care of ourselves a little bit more. I think um, we've, as a culture, we've learned to be a lot more appreciative of our freedom. And um, if it ever happens again, I know it'll be a, a lot harder to let go of. So um, let's protect it as a unit and not make stupid decisions like we did before. Oh, I, I totally agree. But you know what? In your case, you can go to Ireland. I'm stuck here. <laughs> hey, you can go to Ireland too. Now, Ireland is open. Ireland like, is open for everybody. You know that, right? I had dual passports. I'm like, oh my god, you're so lucky. You can like get out of here. It was terrible. It was it's you know terrible. what? Um, uh, I have to say, and I have to hand it to the you know, I I did stay. I was in Ireland for two years, and in a small society in a small country, um, you know, it wasn't easy. It wasn't perfect. The the we we ridiculed our government just as much as anyone did, but um, you know because everyone know everyone's a, uh, a, a what do they say over here a Monday night quarterback is that what yeah, they say? that yeah. is right yeah everyone everyone's a backseat driver or they can they can have a better way of doing it but in reality I think um, after the fact I can honestly hold my hand on my heart and say that. Um, Ireland did the best they could when in a situation that was just unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented now, all over the world. You I'm know one of the few. I'm one of the few people that would hold their hands up and say that. But in, in reality, um, you know, while I don't want to get involved in politics and, and make a conversation about it, not every country can say that they the, the situation was handled in the in the best way. So absolutely. Now, Wendy, we've talked about COVID, and yeah. people are probably like, "Jesus, COVID again!" Can we can we move on? No, we have, this is our lives. We have to talk about <laughs> everything. You know, this is modern society. I was reading. Um, you know, rents in New York are horribly expensive, and probably where you are too. Everywhere, right? and everywhere. It's got- a shoebox is twenty five hundred bucks. Thank you. Right. So we're on the same page with that. So, but it's really becoming a problem. Homelessness, rents, all of those things. I'm reading about how they've done it in Vienna, that they have incredible housing there and how they've worked it out and how they work it out to people's incomes and how they make it reasonable. And they've got tons of really beautiful housing. I'm reading this article and I'm thinking to myself, why why can't we do that in New York? What would be so hard about doing that in New York? The greatest nation in the world cannot yes. do the same thing. And it is actually something that I've been preaching since I got back from, from Ireland, is that um, we don't as a nation, and I say we because I live here too, um, we don't as a nation look after the people that are here as much as we, c- we, we can and, right. and, and should. Um, you know, we could go down the road and talk about the veterans and everything else as well, because that's another topic that really um, gets gets me frustrated. But the reality of the situation is, is that we don't do enough for the people. Um, myself, I have two children. 
um, try and get childcare, you're 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 going to get laughed at because um, you're basically my wife would be going to work to pay for childcare. What is the point? You know, so childcare it, it's so insane. You think of other countries where they first of all university is free. Second of all, yes, they pay higher taxes, but they get medical. University's free, and housing is subsidized. To and me, childcare is subsidized. Well, actually, um, package. You know, to be fair to the state of Oregon, um, um, Multnomah County and a couple other counties are working on programs to make affordable childcare. That's great. It's something that mirrors actually something that's uh, already happening in Ireland. I think you get. Um, it's it's like five or six hours a day, um, and then if you need extra hours, you pay that little incremental sum. And it's then, a little increment. Exactly. It's not it's not crippling. You're not going to be if you wanted to go to work, you could go to work. It's it's right. it's a, it's an it's an easy scenario. But um, yeah, look, definitely one hundred percent. We've we've lived the 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 life that um, we never expected, and you've made the best of it by doing these amazing documentaries and entertaining, um, uh, entertaining cooking shows. And, um, and then on top of that, you know, doing your, your, um, the, the unification shows, which basically are shining the light on, on topics and people that really are being shunned by society in a way um, and really bringing new perspectives to that side of things. So and the positive, I try everything I try and do is a positive perspective. I belong to a big group. It's nationwide It's called the Imperial court and they follow the court system in London. And it's all about dressing up in costume, dressing up in drag and performing every single penny that we make performing goes to help an organization. So every event that we do, and it, it doesn't matter where you are in the country, the Imperial Court is represented in many states. Everything we do is to make money for somebody, for a group that's less fortunate. And 100% that's where our money goes. And all of my tips, that goes there too. Amazing. All right. All Amazing. of our events, we sell, we sell raffle tickets. I always do a really long arm's length for $20. And people donate really great, great things that you can win. That goes to the organization as well. Amazing. I'm telling you, Philip, I spend a, a large portion of my time just doing service and giving back because that's who I am. And the way I need to live in this world, I need to live my best life. I love being a performer, but I also need to be able to not just live for me, to be able to give it back out there. 100%. Live life with grace. That's what I've, I've learned. Of- that 100 percent it's it's not actually it's very religious and it's something that um i never in a million years thought i'd ever say out loud um until recently and it is very relevant right now live live life with grace because everyone is so uptight right now everyone is so i mean driving anywhere you've got people with anger issues and violence and there's things just people are so complacent it's crazy. So it's crazy. Anger issues with when you're right. driving. Yeah. It's like what? It's just it's madness. But live life with grace is a is something that I try and live by. Now, do I always stick to that? Not always. Um, I'm I'm a bit of a road rager myself. But hey, you know, 
um, it's it's something that uh, is definitely uh, something that lives in my mind whenever whenever these situations happen. Um, You're aware of it, which is good. Right, right, right. We try and yeah, because yeah. you you just you just you just don't know. And and honestly, with with two kids as well, you want to set the best example you can. Um, which like you are, you know, you're, 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 you're giving all that you have. You've got a huge heart. You're, you're just, you're a giving person. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been fortunate to meet a few people like you, but there isn't enough people like you. And I think hopefully people listening to this are going to go, you know what? I could easily do that. I could, I could easily give back. I could easily, um, yeah. you know, tip my hat to, to the people that deserve it and, and, and get involved um, I actually, it's not something that I'm, not something that I, I, I'm promoting or I'm affiliated to, but I actually found an app today and I'm going to tell you. Oh, tell me about the app. My, my, my so, so the app is incredible and it was developed by a company who, I think they're in Europe or I have to get more details on it, but it's called, give me one second. Let me pull it up here. Uh, be my eyes or sh- uh, yeah be my eyes it's called it, it's be my like eyes b-e-m-y-e-y-e-s yes it's called be my eyes it's a free app you don't have to pay for it or anything um it's actually for people who are um have have sight issues they're blind or there's uh sight impaired you sign up and you become a volunteer and basically all it is is just a call app it's like a it's like a facetime app or, or a Skype app. And what happens is, so right now there's 502,955 blind people on this app. There are 6,606,184 volunteers. At any given moment, if they want to pick up their app, dial the number, um, they will get a video call with you if you answer. And they can ask you the question as simple as, hey, I need to know which one is the red sweater wow that's really incredible and it goes as far as um a video on here that was it's in 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 the community of it um um somebody calling or or, or this i think it was a lady that called and she said um i hear somebody outside can you see can you see anything outside right and the the person that answered the phone said yes I need you to lock your door and I need you to dial 911. So um, th- it goes all the way. Now, you may never get a call. The, the highest calls that somebody have gotten is five. But because there's six million volunteers right. and only 502,000 blind people, um, the, the chance of you getting a call is like the chance of winning a lottery, but you've, you've made yourself available and it's, it's an amazing concept and it's the, it's technology and COVID and being locked up in a house and thinking of things that you can do that has, has, has just given birth to such an amazing idea. And so it's like it uses FaceTime so you can clearly see what's going on. Yes. It's a video call. It's a video call. Wow. 
It's a video call. So be my eyes is essentially what it is. And it is the concept is that you are their eyes. You get to the access to the camera. They flip it around. Um, and it's like calling your parents. If anyone has uh, has done FaceTime with their parents over the holidays and you're like, OK, I can't really see anything yet. Yeah, OK, yeah. The one on the left is green <laughs> and the one on the right is red. Um, and yeah, you go from there and uh, as simple as, and, um, large companies have partnered with them. Like, so, uh, Comcast's affiliate in, in Europe, sky television have jumped on board and they, um, if you have your customer of theirs, you can dial in through the app and then they can video call and do a bunch of stuff with you. And, uh, medical practitioners are getting involved in this app. And I, I just accidentally happened upon it by looking at an article on the internet and I can't believe how amazing it is. So the reason I tagged that in and the reason I wanted to bring that into the conversation is because we have been kind of negative Nellies on here talking about COVID and I wanted to just bring some positivity into the yeah, into the conversation because it's an amazing yeah. it's an amazing thing 100 yeah. and for people who are listening do i didn't know about this app this is so great and it doesn't take much you know no you and it's like it's like adding whatsapp if you've got whatsapp on your phone right. um it's the same it's the same thing you just put it on your phone you could get a call if you don't get a call um just know that the other six million six hundred thousand volunteers are taking care of it for you so, right, that's a lot. That's a heck of a lot of people. Right. A hundred percent. So, Wendy, we've talked yes. so much about the world and everything and what you've accomplished. Yeah, my, book, my book talks about the world. There you go. The book. book. She, <laughs> she she's the last model it. standing. Yes. Um, and, um, why did I decide to write this book? Because I have been a model and an actress for over 40 years. And... Um, I've, that's all I've ever done. And you hear about supermodels all the time, but I've had a very successful career and I've had a lot of really unbelievable experiences. And I thought, my God, if I don't write a book, who's going to know about it? There you go. 100%. So um, I wrote this book. She's the last model standing. It's available on Amazon. But interestingly enough, my book opens up in Africa when I was 21 and decided um, to get into a program there where I could study the Yoruba people, specifically uh, Shango, who is a, a deity that people worship. He's the God of thunder. And I don't know why he spoke to me, but he did. So I went to Nigeria and I lived in a little village called Ife. And my book opens up there because this was in the days of, um, you heard of the Boko Haram. This, this we had, the same people. I don't know what they called them then, but they would gallop into town in Northern Nigeria in a place called Kano with sabers on their side and horses and their, their heads were wrapped. You couldn't even see their, their eyes. And there I was 21 years old, waist length, blonde hair <laughs> thinking, Oh my God, this is so fun. <laughs> I had no idea. It's the innocence that you have when you, you know, when you travel and you're learning something. And I loved uh, spending time with the Yoruba culture and learning about the things that they believed in. I certainly saw things there that can never be explained scientifically here. 
Um, and I, I too wonder, and it does go back to COVID, Africa got hit less than a lot of places in the world. And I tend to think, you know, there's so many people there that use traditional medicine, meaning plants, you know, they know the plants in right. the jungle. Right. That knew that they knew what to put together because you know they have so many things there, Ebola, typhoid, things that we've eradicated here. They still have there. So when they were saying the numbers there were low, it it brought it back to me remembering how when I was there, if you got sick, somebody would make a tea for you. You could go, you or I would walk into a field and it would just look like a bunch of weeds. They knew, you know, what what was a plant and how they could help somebody with it. And I absolutely fell in love with Africa when I was 21 and then came back to New York and started modeling. And my book is really about all the fun experiences I had. Fun meaning um, I had every godforsaken job you could possibly think of. And most of them were like, I kept waiting to be discovered so I wouldn't have to be standing in a chicken suit, handing out menus in front of a chicken store and hearing comments like nice breasts. I had every <laughs> single terrible job you could think of. And then the job started to get better. And, you know, this book is my story. Um, people who know me know I have a reputation as the perfect size eight in the industry. I am a fit model. People want always want to know what that is. They confuse it with fitness modeling. I go on podcasts and they're like, so you're a fitness model. Do you lift weights? Do you do that? Well, I happen to do that to stay in shape, but a fit model means I try the clothes on right before they go into the store. So I work with a designer and then based on my comments, they make the clothing fit a size eight and then it gets made in the factory. And from there they make size eight, size 10 or smaller, larger, but I am the standard for many American manufacturers. So wow. when you go, I don't know what size your wife wears, but if it's a size eight, chances are <laughs> I've been the one that's given it the seal of approval. All right. Wow. Well, um, we've we we've um, talked the the night away, but one of the things I wanted to ask you was, um, what is next? Like, what is what is your what are your next projects? What are you working on now? Um, what can we look forward to seeing? Because we've talked about what you've done. What are you doing next? So that next every day is the next for me. Um, my uh, podcast coming up this week. Uh, it's gay pride. I have different people that are celebrities in the gay world coming on. Uh, so those shows go and run no matter what. I just finished a stage reading for a new play that I'm hoping will be done in the spring. Fingers crossed. Um, it's a, oh, You'd love the topic. It's about when women take over the world. The, the, the year is 2070. And men have made a mess of things there. It's like a Mad Max movie and the women are in charge and they're running things. And I, that's all I can say about it at this point, but, but you, I know, am you, you know, there's a, there's a running joke. Um, I can't remember the comedian that said it, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's, I've repeated it enough times, um, that if, if, if women ran the world, there'd be no war countries just wouldn't speak to each other. Right. That would just be just give them a cold shoulder. That is <laughs> right. right. Yeah, you're on the same track as me. So that's coming up. I also um I write political comedic parodies. I take songs that you've heard and 
I um, perform them on stage. I'm, I'm going to give you a few bars. You know the song, The Sounds of Silence? Go on. Simon and Garfunkel? Yes. Okay. When I wrote about Facebook. Hello, Facebook, my old friend. I'm back in Facebook jail again. And I just go on from there. It's a story of just about everybody we know who said something that was not even so terrible and got flagged by a bot or, you yeah. know, got jail for 30 days got thrown into the metaverse and, and never seen again yes, yeah i've heard it all married right and it's it's like our lives are so wrapped up in social media so i write songs about those things and i have a lot of songs i started writing them during the pandemic and now there's so much out there in politics that is what do we say tragedy creates comedy it's so tragic the things we hear i write funny things about it there you, you know? go perfect you got, like, so I'm booked at a bunch of venues to be performing those things as well. I'm going to be at uh, Bronx Pride. I'll be co-hosting there. Uh, this week after next, I'll be the host of the Fresh Fruit Film Festival Awards. Being a filmmaker myself, I know a lot of filmmakers. So uh, we have all different categories and it's really cool. I love being, listen, I am in the creative community. I am immersed. I love it. It, it 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 is um it's I'm not gonna lie it's almost overwhelming with the amount of things that you're doing right now so no, no, it's no, it's no, hard no. it's hard for me to gra grasp everything that you're throwing at me right now but I will it tell you that overwhelms me I Saturday I did it's this amazing huge, huge vintage fashion show like gender fluid fashion show at a Dutch Reformed church that my friends they own it it's like their home it's from the 1800s it was across from a cemetery we threw the most fabulous fashion show and then i did a big fundraiser the next day and on monday memorial day i was supposed to go out on someone's boat and i woke up that morning i'm like i'm not meeting them at any dock to go on a boat i don't have, i'm going back to sleep you know I, I think we i think we should i honestly i think we should set up something where we interview the man behind wendy because he's a saint He's a saint. I, I think. I think we heard his voice maybe earlier when when you forgot a line or whatever. But like, um, legitimately, I don't know how he can he can keep up. I feel like it'd be like me during Black Friday with with my wife. I'm just kind of following her around. So I'm the funny. I'm the one with the luminous shirt. I'm 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 standing in line for her as she runs around getting other things. Gather gathers more. I'm just a placeholder. You know what I mean. Well, uh, um, so Wendy, the I guess the biggest thing for me that I want to leave my listeners with is um, a way to connect with you. Is there a site? Is there somewhere we can there, keep in tabs? Ways. You can you can go to Google and Google Wendy Stewart. Tons and tons and tons of things come up. You can go to my YouTube channel, Wendy Stewart TV. Tons and tons of shows on there. You can go to YouTube to model with a mission and you can see the places in the world where we've made um, films for non-for-profits. You can go to Facebook and put Wendy Stewart in and I come up there and that's got a lot of cool stuff on it. I don't put personal things. I put very fun job. Everything I do is fun. I try and have fun. So that stuff's on there. Instagram, I'm under she's the last model standing just like my book that's my instagram handle and again my instagram page is really very interesting and yeah i'm i what did i tell someone i got more handles in a dresser drawer <laughs> <laughs>
Well, Wendy, it's been an absolute yeah. joy and privilege having you on the show. Um, you're a delight and a, a gift to humanity with all the things that you do. So um, I, I encourage everyone to go and Google and keep in touch and make sure that we're um, we're definitely checking out what you're doing because um, if you're not going to be entertained, you're going to be just inspired. So um, I appreciate you 100% for being on the show. Um, and thank you so much for your time. Thank and you also, everybody. you know what, you know what, a big thank you to the mystery voice in the room for keeping you on track when you lo forgot your lines. <laughs> it's funny. Alan is off camera for my podcast, but he does the lighting for it. So there he's the man behind the scenes. You know what? He, he's, 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 uh, he, he makes, he makes sure that the light is perfect and that you look the best. And that's the most important thing, right? Wow. A hundred percent. Even though this is an audio po podcast. <laughs> um, so guys that's been another amazing interview with another amazing guest uh wendy stewart kaplan has um graced us with her presence and i hope you've all enjoyed it it has been another unscripted perspective and we will see you next week but before i go i'm gonna do something i've 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 loaded it on my on my roadcaster and i haven't used it since we've done it but here we go everybody Wendy, thank you so much. Um, so much. We will definitely keep tabs on your work. And oh, well. that is the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. And be sure to leave us a rating or review on your favorite listening platform. Be sure to keep in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at The Unscripted Perspective. Or you can visit us at www.theunscriptedperspective.com. Come on!